It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort. So you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. The FT Santander is continuing its dominance of the UK high street, but are savers benefiting? Rogue letting agents are on the rise. We offer tips to tenants and landlords. And how to make your home more energy efficient before the government cuts incentives. All this to come in this week's FT Money Show. I'm Alice Ross, and I'll be giving you the lowdown on all of these money matters in downloadable form with my colleagues from FT Money, Steve Lodge. Hello. Tanya Paley. Hi. And our special studio guest, Claire Barrett, Associate Editor of The Investor's Chronicle. Hello. So let's start with the money news. This week, Santander rebranded all of its Alliance and Leicester branches with the Spanish bank name. Customers will soon have their mortgage, savings and investment products rebranded as well. Customers are now being offered access to Santander deals, including its fee-free zero account. However, they will not get the £100 joining bonus that customers from other banks get if they sign up with Santander. So, Steve, what does this mean for former Alliance and Leicester customers? Will their products change at all? Well, Alice, I mean, it's good news if you use Alliance and Leicester branches or use branches generally, because suddenly you can go from using 300 Alliance and Leicester to now the new total, as at the end of this month, of 1,300 Santander branches up and down the country, which really makes Santander a major high street force in terms of the branding, Mm. nearly as big as HSBC, indeed. Hmm. Um, Will there be any changes to their products if they're on existing mortgage rates, savings rates? Will those stay the same? In terms of the branding, they will generally change over. So Mm. you'll see a sort of loss of the Alliance and Leicester card. You had Alliance and Leicester checkbook and so on. But in terms of the rates, no. There will be no change in the actual rates, uh, certainly not initially. Um, And um, you mentioned mortgage borrowers. I mean, that's one particular group where maybe especially Alliance and Leicester customers should look at switching because they're on a standard variable, or tens of thousands of them, are on a standard variable rate of 4.99%, whereas the Santander rate is 429. Now, Santander Nautily has not, is not switching them over to that 429, uh, 424, sorry, rather. Um, so they're paying three quarters of, of a percent more. So they'll have to make the decision themselves to move. They'll have to kind of notice. Absolutely, right. yes. And there will be similar anomalies probably across the savings book as well. But the most substantial one is almost certainly those people who are on the standard, the go-to mortgage rates that you go to after your fixed rate or your tracker rates has finished. Mm. Is Santander generally uh, one of the more competitive um, lenders with savings rates? Do, would it generally have the best deals on the high street at the moment? Well, I think Santander is quite interesting. It's, 
it's, it's, if you like, the new player, the new kid on the block. It's what Halifax was doing until a few years ago. And one of its interesting themes, I mean, we shouldn't attach too much importance to these things because, of course, all banks are extremely cynical. But one of its interesting themes is to actually reward people who have different products so so enabling giving them access to better rates for example on the saving side or access to you mentioned a, a Santander zero current account which gives you no cost access to currency when you're abroad for example mm. so they they do do some interesting things but they've also got um, a hell of a lot of savings accounts paying very low rates for example mm. um, in a witch report that I wrote about a couple of weeks ago they were actually the banking group with the most individual products with rates at that those rock bottom levels mm. and uh, when you mention that another negative point about Santander I think is that it's also the bank with the most number of complaints mm. um, from customers uh, at least relative to how many customers it actually has is that an ongoing issue for them it has um, with if you like the tran- the greater transparency on complaints led by the FSA and the financial ombudsman service it's rightly shown up that Santander has been blooming awful in recent years at least um i suppose in one sense i mean frankly all the banks are pretty bad um so santander and i think the measure you mentioned was in proportion to the number of customer transactions there are a number of different ways of measuring these things um but yes it has been extremely bad um to be fair they claim they are making a lot of strides to improve. So that's probably a good sign, of course, whereas there's not a lot of evidence that much of the financial services industry is doing much to improve its complaints handling. Mm. So, But unfortunately, complaints with banks are a necessary evil. I mean, fundamentally, banks do get a lot of complaints because, of course, people transact funds. There are a lot of transactions, and sooner or later, some do go wrong. And yes, they use appalling call centres where people aren't uh, empowered to actually resolve issues or in many cases, frankly, can't be bothered. Mm. So some good news and perhaps some bad news for Alliance and Leicester customers that are now going to move to Santander. Thanks very much for that, Steve. And for more on Santander and what to do if you are a former Alliance and Leicester customer, look out for Steve's article in this weekend's FT Money with The Weekend FT and online at ft.com forward slash money. Still to come on the show, energy efficient schemes for your home. First, though, rogue letting agents. With accidental landlords on the rise and tenants who cannot afford to buy flooding the market, some people are unfortunately spotting an opportunity to make money. Rogue letting agents are on the rise and are ripping off both landlords and tenants to the tune of hundreds of thousands of pounds. That's according to an investigation this week by the Financial Times publication The Investor's Chronicle. It found that reports of fraud were on the rise, while many letting agents remain unregulated. I'm here with Claire Barrett of the Investors Chronicle. Claire, how big a problem is this? Well, as you'd expect, Alice, with more people renting a property because they can't afford to buy one, there are more people complaining about bad practice from letting agents. Now, ARLA, which is the Association of Residential Letting Agents, has told us that fraud um, reports about its members are as high as they have ever been and complaints generally are rising fast. The property ombudsman has received 5,000 complaints so far this year, he tells us, just about letting agents. 
However, a quarter of those calls he can't do anything about because the agents are not regulated. Mm. Now, unlike estate agents who sell property, letting agents who rent property have no legal requirements be regulated by a trade body or to be covered by the Ombudsman's redress scheme. So, in fact, 40% of all letting agents, he estimates, are completely unregulated. And if you have a problem with one of those, then you're really in trouble because it's much more difficult to progress a complaint. Mm. And tell me, what kind of problems might you have with these letting agents? What kind of fraud is, is happening here? Well, the the biggest bugbear is misappropriation of client money. Now, in plain English, this is the letting agent taking money that doesn't belong to him or her. Um, They're either taking a deposit from the tenants, saying that they're putting it in a deposit registration scheme and then just keeping it, or more likely taking the rent from the tenants and not passing it on to the landlord or passing it on late. Now, with the unregulated agents, we have evidence that many of these are just using one account for all of their business transactions. They don't have a separate bank account for clients funds. They're using those client funds, the rents and deposits coming in to finance their businesses. Now technically this is this is potentially fraudulent and very frowned upon. All of the big trade associations um, like ARLA and the RICS won't let their members operate if that's the case. They want to see clear evidence that you've got separate accounts for both and that you're taking care of your client's money. Now in the environment we're in, letting agency is a very cutthroat game and also there's a lot of buy-to-let landlords who are feeling the pinch with mortgage rates so maybe they're not using a letting agent and they're doing it themselves and going around to collect the rent every week which means there's less business for all of these letting agents to compete for and it's quite low margin so unfortunately the other problem that's happening is that many of them are going bust and if they are unregulated and they don't have their accounts um, straight then when they go bust the money's lost and for the poor old landlord and tenant it's gone there's nothing they can do about it. Mm. Steve? But Claire the I mean the issue of deposits is long been a problem of course and from a tenant perspective getting back those deposits but i thought there was an initiative a couple of years ago to have set up a a, a tenant's deposit fund which would put the money aside and would arbitrate over disputes between landlords and tenants, regardless yeah. of the involvement of a letting agent. You're completely right, Steve. Um, in 2007, um, it was made law that all tenancy deposits have to be placed in one of three government-approved schemes. And if the landlord doesn't do this within 14 days of the tenancy starting, the tenant um, can be awarded three times the level of that deposit as compensation, which in London could be six, seven, eight thousand pounds for a modest flat. But What landlords don't realise, especially those who are new to renting out houses, is that the way the law um, words it is that it's the landlord who's responsible if that deposit goes missing. So if your um, agent says, oh here you are, tenant, I'll take the deposit and put it in a scheme, but doesn't do that, and you only find out later when it goes missing, it doesn't matter. The landlord is still liable um, to A, replace it, and B, be fined if the tenant knows their Ah, legal rights. So the agent's running off with the deposits, and the landlord is none the wiser, and the tenant obviously has lost their money. Yes, and but the landlord has to replace that money. But often landlords don't realise that they have to do this and then nasty negotiations can incur between the two parties. And tenants, I think, also don't realise their rights, do they? I think you mentioned there were instances of some landlords asking tenants for the deposits back and tenants are paying it because they don't realise that they don't have to. Yes, and obviously that, that shouldn't happen. If you go through a regulated letting agent, then one of the responsibilities of the letting agent is to explain the law to you as a landlord and where you stand 
hand, and as a tenant, if you're going to an agent who's regulated, then you should have comfort in the fact that if there is a problem, you can complain to the ombudsman and you'll have an independent third party who can sort out um, the, the details of the problem and, if necessary, award you compensation. And just finally, briefly, is there hope on the horizon here? Is there any talk of um, the government actually regulating letting agents? Sorry, but no. <laughs> uh, the Investors Chronicle approached um, Grant Shapps um, from the offices of uh, communities and local government, and they did issue us uh, with a statement which says that they do not believe blanket regulation is a solution. However, they do admit there is a problem. They say we're exploring with industry partners how best to counter poor practice by unscrupulous agents without additional regulation, which they say would harm tenants' interests by pushing up rents and restricting the availability of housing available to rent. Well, I would counter from that, Grant, if you're listening. If you don't protect landlords, they're not going to rent properties out and meet the housing gap of this nation. Nobody has to be a landlord. They can easily sell those properties and put the money in the stock market or somewhere else. If there's not um, a proper mechanism for them to invest their money safely and fairly, then they're going to walk away from the buy-to-let market and there'll be less houses. Thanks for that, Claire. So if you're a tenant or a landlord, know your rights and check your contract and use a regulated letting agent. And for full details, read our article in the FT Money section this weekend and on our website, ft.com forward slash money. Or, and pick up a copy of the Investors Chronicle this weekend for the full investigation. Finally today, energy efficient schemes. Homeowners and landowners interested in generating their own renewable electricity are being advised to act now before the government makes rates on its feed-in tariff scheme less attractive. The FIT scheme, also known as the Clean Energy Cashback Scheme, provides payments to households, communities, land and property owners who generate their own renewable electricity. People are then able to secure an additional income stream by selling the electricity they generate to the national grid. Tanya, this scheme has been around for a while. Has it been popular with homeowners? Well, it's actually only been around since um, April this year. So we've actually seen quite a large uptake so far. I mean, there's been, in terms of the domestic side of things, there's been more than 13,500 schemes that have been installed um, since April this year. And out of that, the majority seem to be with um, solar um, photovoltaics um, power. Um, Basically putting solar panels on your roof or something. Yeah, or constructing it in your garden or something Mm. like that um but that seems to be the most kind of popular one at the moment i think that's probably largely because it's the kind of lowest um upfront cost to install i mean Mm. that's probably going to be the part of the thing that appeals and it's probably going to be the 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 kind of system that most homos can actually use Mm. the fit scheme is actually applicable for things such as wind turbines you've got anaerobic digestion um you've got hydroelectricity mm. so some of these are quite site specific i mean you're not going to have everyone everyone's not going to have a stream or water that they can make use of the hydroelectricity power um so that's the sort of thing that you need to kind of bear in mind first that's why solar power seems to be the most popular mm. and why now why why is this fit scheme under threat um there's just talk about i mean we've seen kind of a drop off in these installations prior to the um the spending review in october because there were there was always murmurings that they would um the government would look to actually reduce the kind of the rates that they're actually offering to homeowners and landowners um i mean that actually proved unfounded and they've actually said in the um spending review that they would probably review the current rates in 2012 with possibly um rates that have been uh, increased or reduced probably more likely reduced um from 2013 like april 1st 2013 mm. so a lot of the agents i've been speaking to have been saying that this is like a perfect opportunity now to kind of take advantage of the current uh, current rates um because also a lot of these schemes actually take quite a while to install. I mean, if you're looking to do, if you're a landowner, you're looking to um, kind of create a wind 
wind power farm um i mean sometimes that could take up to two years Mm. but if you install one of these schemes say you go for the easier one solar panels um that's despite the um the tariff that's still quite a big upfront cost isn't it? you're looking at about 10 grand of your own money Mm -hmm. then it's going to take years to get that back yeah when are you going to start actually making money when will this become a good investment again it varies very much to do with the the system that you're installing and the size of the system i mean with solar power that's actually going to be one of the ones that's going to be the longest to kind of actually get your upfront costs back i Mm. mean for one of those 10,000 ones it could be 12 years sometimes actually Mm. um wind turbines actually produce the highest rate returns so they tend to the payback tends to be shorter Mm. um so it's really kind of weighing up your options i mean you've got to really look at kind of what size scheme you're installing uh, what the upfront costs are i mean obviously you can also get loans that can help with that upfront cost Mm. Um, but it's really kind of factoring when you're going to get this kind of return on your investment Mm. i imagine you'd want to do it if you were staying in your house for quite a long time then or perhaps it would increase the sale value if you did move on um i think there's that's another thing that's got to be considered because obviously um with these schemes, I mean, there might be, there have been some instances where people tried to sell their house and actually um, the seller or the, or the buyer actually wants the whole schemes, whole scheme removed. So you've mm, got to bear that right. in mind. I mean, some people aren't going to see it as an attraction because some of these things can actually be quite ugly on top of your roof. Mm. Um, so that's a very important thing to consider. I mean, these contracts are for 20, 25 years, especially if you look, there's lots of these um, solar power companies out there who are actually offering to um, pay all these upfront costs for you. Um, they kind of give you um, electricity savings, but they actually take control of the um, the extra payments from this FIT scheme. Mm. Um, but obviously you're signing a contract for 25 years with solar power. Um, so it's uh, such a long time that you do need to consider it carefully and see exactly what you're signing up for. Mm. OK, thanks for that, Tanya. Lots to consider there if you're considering putting a wind turbine on your roof. And if you'd like to know more about how to install a wind turbine or solar panel, look out for Tanya's article in FT Money this weekend. But that's all for this week's FT Money Show. Remember, you can get weekday news updates on our website, ft.com forward slash money. And you can read and comment on our latest blog posts at ft.com forward slash money matters. We'll be back next week with another financial lowdown in downloadable form. But until then, it's goodbye from me and it's goodbye from Steve, Tanya and our special guest, Claire Barrett of The Investor's Chronicle. Goodbye. For more downloads, go to ft.com forward slash podcasts. 